I'm music journalist Stephen Ivory on the LC and Jack radio show. You are listening to the LC and Jack radio show live from New York. And now here are your hosts, LC and Jack. Welcome to the LC and Jack Radio Show with your boys, LC and the Breadman, holding you down. Give us a shout here in the studio. You can reach us at area code 347-843-4738. Up close and personal, Urban Talk Radio. Well, it's great to have you join us on another edition of the show. It's uh, unfortunately a... My heart and millions of other hearts are are saddened as we lost another great, legendary artist. And by now, you know, last week we lost Prince. I'm still in shock. Everyone's still in shock. And we talk about tomorrow's not promised to anyone. Well, you know what? You know, everyone is included in that. But... You know, with that said, it's, uh, I tell you, Brad, it's, it's like, wow, you know, you scratch your head and, you know, I believe in, in, in God, so I know he's in a better place, but it's, it's still difficult to digest that he's no longer here. He was not an, an old individual by any stretch, he's 57 years old, but I look at it and say he did what he was supposed to do what he was placed on this earth to do and that was to bring joy to people's hearts and that's what he did he was a man of very few words but he spoke very much in it through his music so man I tell you man it's tough even just saying it and talking about him like like we're talking about him but we know there's our listeners out there that's on their mind now and you know so man I <laughs> it just takes my breath away talking about Prince he's no longer here crazy there Brad right yes sir it's crazy it really Mr. is crazy Mr. but well, we were able to uh, reach out to a man that has knows him up front and up close and personal. I mean, that's kind of our slogan. But yes, he he does know him. He, he written has written a book, first written publication about him. So we're going to bring him up in a second. But again, um, our hearts and our prayers go out to his family. For uh, going through such a difficult period of time So with that said, Brad Our guest is here And let's uh, let's get ready to bring him up here Our, our guest, Brad, this evening Steve Ivory Is one of the best R&B music journalists, period He has written for many publications Including Billboard, Vibe, Essence The LA Times And The Source just to name a few. He has also written some books, including 1984's Prince, which was the first book published on the artist. More recently, he has been seen on Unsung, 
and Michael Jackson's journey from Motown to Off the Wall. You can also catch Steve on Lee Bailey's Electronic Urban Report, which he does a a weekly column. Very well and crafty, I might add. We are so happy to welcome to the show Mr. Stephen Ivory. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Well, as I said in my opening, I'm I'm, I'm hanging in there. As uh, we spoke off off the air, still dealing with losing a, another legendary artist. Very yes, difficult to swallow. Um, I was actually yes, at the store. Yes. I was actually at the store yesterday, and a lot of young people get the rap because they don't really understand the legends that came before him. That's and right. this this young brother, maybe he's 22 years old, understood what what Prince, what his legacy was, and I was taken mm. back. But I was that happy. is a rarity. Yes. Very happy to hear this individual recognize greatness that he was able to hear now, and, and see. Let me ask you something. Yes. Uh, what what uh, what did he say to you that made you think that he grasped uh, who Prince was and what his music was? Well, I think he was an or. Of all the instruments, we started talking, mm-hmm. and he, he, he was right. saying how all the instruments that he played, and not even just all the instruments, because he was saying that his brother plays the piano, and his brother said, "Hey, you can play the piano, you can play the guitar because you know the strings," but mm-hmm. he said because he was one of the best guitarists. Very difficult to be a great guitarist. Almost great at just about every instrument that that he played. And I was like, "Wow, that's your right. brother was uh, he knew he knew of Prince, his history, and he knew his music and to produce wow. it." So I was like, I said, I was taken back. Most of the youngsters now, they only know what's today, but they got to realize that's and, right. And, and youth out there, we 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 learn from the people that came before us. That's right. That's that's that's, that's right. where music comes from. I mean, it's it just mm-hmm. doesn't come out of the air. We learn. It's a process Absolutely. of learning. And mm-hmm. uh, so again, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad that some of our youth realize our uh, our, our past, and yes. they recognize greatness because you don't get it too often. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. I would like to speak to. To that notion that uh, a lot of our kids don't don't uh, aren't aware of what they're uh, listening to or, or what they what where they come from, what mm-hmm. came before them, the legacy and the and the music and the art that came before them. I remember uh, maybe I don't know maybe. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, longer than that maybe, walking into a dry cleaners, and there was uh, Uber Gooding Sr., uh, uh, Junior's daddy. Now, mm-hmm. Senior is is the, the lead singer of the main ingredient, which you know. Yeah. Um, and I had been acquainted with that guy because I'd interviewed him you know, for a solo album that he might have had out on Motown or something like that. I said hello to him and we started talking. And I told him uh, just how badly I felt and how disappointed I was in our youth that did not know uh, great music and great performances and did not strive for that. Um, And, you know, I went on about how disappointing it was and uh, how they didn't know what they were missing and all of this. And he listened to me and he agreed with me. But he said, uh, you know, Stephen, we're responsible for that. If these kids don't know what's good, if they don't know what to respect, 
we're responsible for that. We have a responsibility to turn them on to what is and what was and uh, show them the difference between greatness and, you know, every every act that I grew up listening to wasn't great. You know, we, we, we talk about, you know, how great music was before and the artist, but there were always one-hit wonders. There were always right. uh, people who were faking it. You know, you know those records, and I know those right. records, and, and we both know those artists. But at the same time, there was an emphasis put on uh, great songwriting and artistry and, and, and all of that. And it's up to us, uh, Cooper said, to have these kids look back and, and listen to that. Hey, you can listen to whoever you want to right now, but let me just turn you on to this. You know, let me turn you on to, let me show you who Mahalia Jackson was or who Otis Redding is or who Miles Davis was or what the early Jackson 5 did before Michael. You know, uh, let me show you who the temptations are. I mean, you could go on and on. Uh, The other thing I will say about uh, our youth and them not, uh, you know, generally speaking, not always appreciating uh, what you and I classify as just great music and great craftsmanship, we all, no matter what our profession is or no matter what we desire, we all uh, pursue our heroes. We all emulate our heroes well my heroes were people who sang danced played instruments uh were great performers great songwriters great producers uh these kids today their heroes are people who push buttons uh people who uh you know people who make their music in a different way technically than i grew up listening to so it's only natural that uh, their heroes might be people who don't play instruments or their heroes might be people who don't sing as well or play an instrument as well, if at all, uh, as we would think is, you know, happen. And that's that's the problem. I, I mean, you know, you talk about Prince dying. Um my my big regret is that we're not replacing these kinds of guys. You know, we can't we can't say wow. You know, when Mike died, it, we said we had Prince at least. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> when Michael died, I mean, there we're talking about apples and oranges and as entertainers. But when when Michael died, and we couldn't believe that, we said, well, Jesus Christ, at least we've got Prince, we've got. Stevie Wonder, you know, but in terms of that show-stopping essence, we had Prince, you know, at least we had Prince is what we said. Now we don't have this guy. So, um, and unless youngsters are willing to look back, uh, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, there's a matter of taste. If 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 a, if a youngster is not interested in what he hears, who are we to say? You know, you got to dig this music. But uh, you know, and until until they can somehow grasp and get their hands on uh, the idea that this is greatness and that you have to do certain things to aspire to aspire to greatness, then I would say that a certain era of uh, of music is gone forever, you know, relegated to recordings. Thank God we have recordings. Yeah, well, fortunately, the Prince, Michael, and James Brown, and the list does go on. They will live forever, and our youth, whether it be now or later, at a later time, will always have the ability to go back and learn and listen Absolutely. to these great artists. Absolutely. So that's that's what's great about, you know, musical icons is that that's the right. music, they live forever through the mm-hmm. music. And mm-hmm. I, I had a chance to take out an old interview with uh, Prince on Larry King, which was uh, very enlightening to me. 
because he didn't do many interviews, as as you know, and you uh-huh. you were able to, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about your experience here shortly. But I was surprised he did Larry King, and Larry was a surprise himself. He, he mentioned it on the broadcast, That's and right. he was, but he was honored. He said he was very honored that that he came on, and his fans were. He actually did live calls. He took them and. He asked them all the questions I would think that most people want to know about him, and he was pretty candid and, you know, wanted to from, hey, how come you don't do interviews to why people misjudge you because you don't do interviews, so people mis- misjudge you because they, you know, the press wants you to speak. They want you to do something so mm-hmm. they have something to write about. Yeah. You don't say nothing, mm-hmm. they got nothing to write about. <laughs> So That's they right. got to come up with their own spin. And That's right. He his thing was, was I speak to my music. That was basically his his thing. He's like, listen, my my music is how I talk. You know, I don't even say much outside of when I leave. And That's right. uh, that was interesting. How you know, really, he said uh, he didn't really. Larry asked him about his name, the name change, which. I understood, you know, I was, you know, I did a lot of stuff in music. I understood what, why the name changed, and, you That's know, we'll right. get into that briefly, but I mean, most people didn't, and they thought he was crazy. He wasn't crazy. He was mm-hmm. a very sharp businessman, mm-hmm. and he understood what was going on, and he had to sacrifice a lot, and, well, you know, well, I'll right. let you kind of handle that, but how, how much, and let's get into that since we're, we're talking about it. For those that don't know, Steve, I mean, Prince decided to change his name, not just change it. He changed it because he found out, like a lot of music artists, is that he didn't, even though he created and did everything for his music, he did everything, produced it, wrote it, he didn't own it. And he he found out the hard way is that whatever he wanted to do, the record companies had to approve anything that he did because they owned it. And he had a problem with that. And to his credit, he changed the way artists, the way the music business is now. Because at that time, he was the first one to start to sell music, really, for his music online. There was nobody doing that when Prince was, you know, uh, got released from Warner Brothers and... He wrote Slave on the side of his face, not just to write it. He wrote up there because he believes that he was, in, he was enslaved for something that it was his. Exactly. And, um, yes. Yeah, what, what, how, how, how much of a price do you think Prince paid from, you know, his, his early stuff obviously got a lot of radio play because the music, the, the majors, Warner Brothers was was behind it. But once he was released from his contract and and really kind of limited, you know, he he didn't have a major label behind him, so everything was via the net. He, he right. paid a serious price to that, didn't he? Well, he did, and what he he what he learned when he uh left Warner's. Um in fact, he left it really before he left Warner's because uh, he put out the most beautiful girl in the world, that single. Uh, mm-hmm. He was still on the contract to Warner's, and uh, Warner's allowed him to uh, to take that single and put it out himself, to do it independently. Mm-hmm. He thought it should be a single. They, they didn't. And he said, well, you know, we're at an impasse here. And Warner Brothers said, I'll tell you what, you can... Uh, well, you, you believe in that record. You believe in the most beautiful girl in the world. So we will um, allow you to release that as a single independently on your own. You're responsible for it, and uh, you can you can make it a hit. And he made it a hit. Mm-hmm. But what he learned, what he learned with that record was how much it costs <laughs> to make a record a hit especially if you're independent and don't have the muscle of right. a radio station uh, I mean or or a uh, a label who is going to the radio station you know a, a label might walk into a promotion man from the label might walk into a radio station and say I've got this new artist 
or I've got this established artist and I'd like you to play this. And the radio, um, the, the disc jockey or the producers there at the radio station might not be keen on playing that record. Well, right. that Warner Brothers guy is going to say, well, you know, if you're not interested in playing this record, I might have to stop delivering my other records here. And we might have to talk about advertising that we are going to not be <laughs> buying here anymore or <laughs> any number of ways they can lean on a guy, you know, to play on a record or to at least consider a record. Well, Prince didn't have that with this independent single, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Now, he had his reputation. He's Prince. It's a lot easier for him. But out there by himself, he realized that um, between paying for independent promotion, between paying for favors, <laughs> between, you know, whatever you want to call it, they don't call it payola no more, but they call it something. <laughs> you know, you, there, there's all kind of favors being done. Now, uh, I... I was told that in the end he paid about uh, five million dollars for that to uh, to, be, to be a hit. I'd have to get where where it was on the chart. I think it was a top ten record or a top five record, but he paid dearly for it, and he wow. realized then what it took for uh, a major to make a hit, and what it, the, the difference between the muscle that a major has and and, and an independent. Uh, has so yes, you're right. He took a he took a uh, he paid a price for being independent, but it was worth it to Prince because uh, you know once he was independent, uh, whatever he made, it, he had a hundred percent of it, as opposed to sharing it with the label. Uh, so let's say that maybe once he left Warner Brothers, he didn't have any million sellers. Well, if you don't have to pay for all the things you have to pay for uh, with your record company partner, who is Warner Brothers or whoever, then, you know, most of the, the lion's share of the money is, is is coming your way. So let's say you sell 100,000 records as opposed to selling a million. Um, you know, and you're selling that record at maybe uh, $20 a pop or $10, $10 a pop. I mean, you do the math. You mm -hmm. know, no, I really mean you do the math because right. I can't. But uh, it's big but money. That's, that's money. That's money. And it's money that you're mostly putting in your pocket. You're not sharing it with anyone. Now, the price you pay for that is that you don't have the big distribution. Well, you don't really need that now that you've got Amazon and the Internet and all of that. Well, but if you're selling online, you still have to let people know that it exists online. So then that's where your marketing comes in. So he had to to think of all of these things. He had to think of how to get people to the net to know that he's there selling records. And how do I do that in a tasteful way? You know, how do I market myself outside of uh, what the record company used to do for me? Uh, he he learned a lot, but in the end, it was still worth it to him to be the master of his own ship, to release music when he wanted to, as much music as he wanted to. That was another thing that Warner's told him. They said, man, listen, you know, he wanted to release a record every six months. They said, you'll kill your <laughs> brand if you, if you <laughs> release a record every six months. Man, they won't want to hear from Prince no more. <laughs> He's... They said, you know, it, give us a record at least a year. You know, there are artists who waited, you know, two, three years between records. Prince didn't do that. He, it, it, at the beginning of his career, his first, I don't know, the first decade, he was pretty much uh, a record a year. And he wanted to release much more, you know, but the label wouldn't allow him to do it. They said he would flood the market. So now that he was an independent artist, he could at least put out music when he wanted to and and that's and that's big now because the and I love about really again learning a little bit more about Prince was in 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 the interview I think he touched on it or or read, and you could tell me uh Steve because I mean you know him you knew Prince firsthand was he was like set trends 
he would be ahead of everything as we talk about putting his stuff on the internet, controlling it. I mean, he really opened the doors for uh, later on, much later on, but still Master P was able to make a deal so, you know, so slated to himself that, right. you know, Prince set that up so many, you know, years before him, basically laid the groundwork for these these entrepreneurs to say, hey, look, look what Prince did. And look at the yeah. money he raked in. I didn't even have to sell a million copies to make millions. I could I could sell two hundred fifty thousand right. to make millions of Absolutely. dollars. Absolutely. And they they saw Absolutely. the ground breaking, and he was all for that. Uh, even I believe Jay's Jay Z's new label, he cut a uh, not his label, but it's basically he's uh, got the new music streaming service, and right. uh, he was with that, and that was it. Everything mm-hmm. else he pulled. Absolutely. He pulled his music off. Absolutely. And I think that hurt Absolutely. him just, just, just for the youth wanting to, yeah. or even anybody being able to access music, you can't do it because he well, couldn't get it anywhere. At, at some point, at some point, even his fans uh, set out to sue him to get to to get access to the music. I mean, you know, at some point, uh, he just got so tight with the music uh, that even his fans said, "Come on now." This is Prince. We love you. I mean, if we can't get our hands on the music, or we can only do certain things with the music, he was uh, an ardent believer in controlling that which you own and created. And uh, I think his experiences at Warner's um, just absolutely drove that home for him. Once he realized that he had to deal with, you know. It's like writing a book. When I write a book, I've got 100% of that book until I give that book to a publisher. Then it becomes to everybody in the publishing house, whether it's the art director, the promotion man, the editor who's helping you editing, edit the book, it becomes our book. You know, Let's say I wrote a book about an R&B artist. Uh, my editor is going home at night and her husband is saying, what are you working on? She said, well, I got this book on an R&B artist that I'm editing. And the art director is having lunch with a friend of his and he said, well, what are you working on, man? And he says, man, I got a couple of books uh, that I'm doing. I'm working on this book about an R&B artist. I'm trying to put together, uh, you know, uh, a cover for it. So he has an investment in it. And then you talk mm-hmm. to the marketing guy down the hall at the publishing company, at the book publishing company, and he's in the he's in Barnes and Noble or someplace, and he's saying, "That's my book right there, that book that, uh, on R and B. That's my book." You know, he's saying that because he markets the book. She's saying that because she edits the book, and the art director is saying that because he creates what it looks like visually. So everybody has an invested interest in this thing. And I think that's that's what bothered Prince the most, that this music would be his, something that came out of his head, that he would go into his own studio, lay down the tracks for it, and uh, turn it into the uh, record company. And sometimes they would turn it back to him and say, we don't like this. And uh, he'd have to come up with something else. But the idea that even if they loved it, he then would have to now share... Uh, how this thing is marketed, how it's listened to, uh, the, the images that are created and, and, and uh, 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 to sell it. He just didn't like sharing that experience all uh, at all. I knew a, a buddy at uh, who used to work at Warner Brothers uh, mm-hmm. during the time that Prince was hot there. And uh, <laughs> he talked about the scene that would take place when Prince would show up at the uh, the offices in Burbank. He said, "Man, I've never seen people jump like this." <laughs> I mean, when Prince was in the when Prince was in the building, you knew, you know, that something was up. And he said, "You know, I passed an office, and uh, there were executives in that office, big time executives, VPs, and and the like." And Prince was standing there, and he said Prince was giving him holy hell over <laughs> over a promotion campaign or something, you know. But 
this was who Prince was. He was a huge artist at Warner Brothers. Uh, and not only was he huge, because they had other huge artists there, but he was a um, an entertainer, uh, an entertainer of a certain magnitude. He was a he was a star. He looked like a star, and he uh, carried himself like a star. And uh, he just had a huge following. And and he he was, you know, uh, hypnotizing to even the the. Uh, people at the label who had seen some of the biggest artists in the world. This guy mm-hmm. still was a, a, a star to them. So they were trying to please this guy, but the more he got, the more he wanted. And, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, that's how it works. You know, he, <laughs> and, 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 you know, he finally had to, he finally had to go independent. Now you had a chance to write a book on Prince that's right. Um, how how well did you get a chance to uh, know Prince? This book that I wrote, I wrote in '84, and uh, I was just a kid. I mean, I was a, I was an adult, obviously, but uh, you know, uh, it was my first book, and I had uh, an agent that uh, was aware of my interest. In Prince, and uh, he said that he was going to New York, and that maybe he he would, you know, maybe there were, was enough interest in a guy like Prince, this new this new artist that, uh, and he wasn't that new by Purple Rain, but you know, he was still he still had this cult following for the most part. But uh, we thought that there was, we knew that Purple Rain was coming, and that it would be something big, and we thought that. You know, maybe it would be something that people would be interested in reading about. In any case, uh, my agent went to New York, my literary agent went to New York, and uh, he came back a week later and he said, uh, I've got some good news and some bad news. And I said, uh, what, what is that? He said, well, I got the, uh, I made a deal for the Prince book and I got you in advance and the whole thing. And I said, well, what could possibly be bad news and he said well they want this book like yesterday and I said oh no I mean man, this is my, my first book I I have a Alistair Cook robe and a a, a a pipe that I'm going to smoke I'm going to <laughs> pretend to be a great novelist with my research and my you know this, mm-hmm. this could take years to write and he said uh have you ever heard a Prince album before? I said, of course. He said, well, there's your research. Start writing. So he, <laughs> he, so he, he left it up to me to, uh, in, a, in a matter of weeks, literally, to write a book that would introduce Prince to a, pub, to a public that didn't know who he was. I mean, of course, he had his, his, fan, his core fans. But by the time Purple Rain came along, he was reaching a whole new, a uh, whole new fan. You know, a white pop fan for the most part who never heard of him. Right. So that was the that was the book that I set out to write, and I obviously uh, could not get any uh, cooperation from Prince. So I had to uh, talk with songwriters, uh, family members. Uh, Friends, uh, you know, people who worked with him in the past to try and paint a profile of who who Prince was, along with the things that I knew about about him. But I will say that you know the book is not the last word in Prince uh, on on Prince. Number one, it was written when his career was still brand new, and we all know so much more about. Who Prince is now, so. But it was an introduction to Prince, and it, and it right. did well. If you're just tuning in, we um, have Mr. Steve Ivory, who is a music journalist and the best, the best that's out there. Period. Steve, in your opinion. 
how I mean this is this is a tough question, but and we, we talked about the legends of the game. Um you know what, I'll save I'll save actually the question I was gonna just ask you. I'll I'll save it. I'll I'll say this. What um you got a chance obviously to, 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 to experience Prince like all of us over the years. What were you most I guess surprised or that you learned from him that you didn't know and that could have just been recently or just over the years I think that um, I think that I I think that I I uh, underestimated his interest in being uh, as good as he was uh, you look at these films and you look at the tapes and you look at the, you know, the videos and, you know, and I've seen many, many uh, Prince Live performances. And the reason I say that I under I mis- mistook how interested this guy was in, in getting better and being brilliant is because I saw his first show... Uh, at the Roxy here in Los Angeles I saw the first uh, Prince show that Prince ever performed in Los Angeles it was in 1979 and he had his he was promoting the For You album his first album and he played a, a little little exclusive place called the Roxy Theater it was on Sunset Boulevard and some of the biggest names in R&B and pop and rock played played there at the, at, at the time and he played there and he was absolutely horrible. He was absolutely horrible. I mean, wow. the next day, people were talking about uh, this new kid that nobody even knew, that many of them were going because they might have liked the single, I Want to Be Your Lover, or they might have liked the album. But for the most part, some of them were there because, you know, Warner Brothers had invited them. And back in those days, uh, when... Uh, and maybe still today, but back in those days when the press was invited to see a show, uh, they fed you and they got you drunk. So <laughs> you were able to go in there. You were able to go in if you had a date, you know, and we were all kids back then. And it's like, hey, you're trying to get a girl, you get a date and you say, listen, I'm going to the Roxy tonight. You want to go listen to some music? I'm a big time music journalist. And you take her in and you're signing, you know, she's drinking for free and you're signing that tab and, you know, you're sitting there with your feet kicked up looking at, you know, hopefully some good music. But it really didn't matter sometimes because you were in there for free and hanging out and partying. But uh, in in this case, no one knew that Prince was going to be all that one day. And we went to see him like we'd go see any new artist and his act was absolutely horrible he was on stage with Andre Simone and um, Des Dickerson and uh, God I forget the rest of the band but um, but it was it was horrible I beg your pardon Jesse Johnson in the crew Uh, no that wasn't Jesse that was the Jesse was in the time but uh, yeah Jesse was in the time but uh, but this was his first show, and uh, in fact, the time didn't even exist at this point. Not in Prince's camp because Prince was just getting his own career going. But it was just horrible, man. It was horrible, and I thought when I left that club, I said, "You'll never hear from this guy again." You know, <laughs> he's he's <laughs> horrible, and everybody was talking about how bad it was. You know, and it was just. He came out in some leopard skin panties or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was bad. And it was, they were swaggering more than the music was worth it, if you know what I mean. I mean, they were, right. they, they, they were more into themselves than, than the music, you know, uh, deserved. I mean, it's like, man, this, this ain't this bad. You know, I mean, this, you guys are acting like this is really, really happening. And, and you're, 
you know, uh, shaking your hair and oh, it was just it was horrible. But uh, so to watch this guy become what he became, to to see the absolute grade A master showman that he became, uh, you had to be taken by his drive and by his determination to be the best. You know, and I look at what do you, as, as what do you think changed him? What do you think? You think he just went ahead from that performance, which can happen to any anybody? What do you think? You, you think that was awakening for him to go back to the lab and get get on my game, or what do you think happened to transform him? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's what it was. I think we saw him being the best he could be. I mean, when I say that it was horrible, I'm not saying he had a bad night. I'm saying that this guy just didn't know how to perform. Oh, okay. He he just, yeah, he just wasn't great. We just caught him at the beginning, you know. Uh, Maybe somebody who has worked in show business for many years as a choreographer or a production, somebody who puts on shows, maybe somebody like that would have looked at that show and said, you know what, son, you're not even ready to go out on tour. You're not even ready to present yourself to the public. But that's where we that's where we saw him. We saw him at the beginning of his uh, of his performance career that night, and it just was not happening. He was not having a bad night. It was just he was performing to the best of his ability. He and those guys, and it just was corny. It just wasn't happening. But the more shows he did, uh, the better he got. And I can remember. Uh, going to see his concert when he uh, had uh, God, I forget what the album was, but it had Let's Work on it. And I went to see him at Santa Monica Civic. And they had taken all the seats out at the auditorium so people would have to stand. And, uh, and he was absolutely a monster. I mean, it was just like night and day. His 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 gift uh, of performance and his timing and his work in the audience and the stage. And it was just like night and day. So, and from there, it was, you know, it was it was only getting better and better and better. The productions were getting better and better. So, by the time you got the Purple Rain, he was, he was ready to handle Purple Rain. He was ready to do what needed to be done in terms of performance and all of that and it just it all just came together the song came together with the success of the movie and God forbid he would not have been ready as an artist you know to do his part in terms of live performances and subsequent tours and all of that but he was ready too so you got a hit album and you got a hit movie and you got a hit uh, concert performance it all came together. That's what made that's what took Prince to the to the next level. No doubt about it. And at the I think that they said that, you know the movie pretty much he did himself. He financed I think most of the movie himself because at that time a lot of people didn't. Um, he wanted to do it his way, and I don't even know if people believed in in the actual movie itself before it came out. So well, well, Warner's did. Warner's ended up financing the movie to the tune of about seven million dollars. Oh, they did. And, okay. Uh, yeah, and and but they didn't believe that they had a hit after it was shot. Uh, they, there were problems doing the movie, uh, artistic differences and things like that. But they got the movie. They got the movie done. But they still didn't think that they had a hit. And uh, you know, to date, well, I mean, this thing is is bound to probably make about two hundred million now that he's dead. But uh, when it came out, it ended up, you know, earning about uh, I don't know somewhere just uh, before seventy million or something like that. I think it was something like sixty-eight million or something, which is an incredible, incredible return on seven million. <laughs> so not. Not only did not only did he have a hit, but he had something that became a, a classic, so to speak. So 
to now see this movie playing in theaters this week across the country again, uh, and and a new interest in uh, this film just ensures that it's going to earn more money, obviously. Oh, no doubt about it. And he's, from what I understand, you know, from, from actually him, you know, I got a chance to see that Larry King, and they actually asked him about the movie. And he said it's, it's semi-fictional uh, and semi-truth. So it's a, it's a mix right. of, 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 of fiction and non-fiction. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, uh, it's amazing how this, this individual is so soft-spoken, but once he got behind the mic... A different, it's a different deal. <laughs> you know, oh, he yeah. did his thing when he got behind the mic. I mean, it's uh, absolutely. Yeah, what? And, and, and I know we could have you here for a long time. What? What would you like to tell the audience about Prince that we haven't kind of chatted, or they might already know? What? What would you elaborate that maybe the listeners don't know uh, that you were probably maybe privy to, and just what you, what you do. You're a journalist, and you'll come across a, a lot of information. Sometimes doesn't you're not able to share it for whatever reasons. Is there anything out there that the public may not know that you'd like to share? I would like to share uh, this about Prince. Uh, everything that Prince did uh, that was for public consumption that he did, whether it be his shows, whether it be his appearances, how he dressed, uh, how he talked, how he presented himself, everything that he did that was for public consumption was designed by Prince. By that I mean how we see Prince today is because this is what Prince has wanted us to see him as. Um, I understand uh, that people have said this throughout all of the memorials and all of the interviews that people have said in the wake of his death. I understand why people say this, but I will say this here. Prince was not shy. <laughs> Prince was not a shy guy. This was a ruse that Prince uh, created and found that it worked. And he played it like nobody's business. But I never, anytime I was around Prince, the guy was never shy around <laughs> me. And he was never shy to any of the people that he was there. And uh, he told it like he saw it. And he told it like it, like it wasn't sometimes. In other words, he had an opinion that might not have been real or whatever. But Prince was not shy. And I've heard these people talk over and over on CNN and whatever, and they all talk about how shy he was and mysterious he was. There was nothing mysterious about Prince. Prince created mystery. He created this image that uh, he used to market himself. It was almost like anti-marketing, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he quietly did what he did. And it was all by design. And he started this early. And, and when he saw that people went for it, he continued it. But any of the Genius. people that Prince, yeah, any of the people that uh, any of the people that Prince grew up with, uh, and even got to know in business and worked with, and his bands, the various bands he had, and all the people who worked with him, they will all tell you that this guy was not that he was not shy. Now, when he was quiet, uh, he was quiet because he wanted to be. He was quiet because we're all quiet sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or he was quiet. Uh, he was quiet as a weapon, you know. But because even even his band members, uh, especially the ones that didn't grow up with him, they had all bought into the whole mysterious thing too. So. He could use his silence or he could use his, uh, you know, seeming indifference uh, to his advantage. 
but Prince was not a, a shy guy. He was one of one of the things that people have said, many people have said that knew him on TV. They said that how funny he was. That is true. He was a very funny guy. He loved to joke and he loved to to laugh. You know, but he was he was definitely not shy. He was not this painfully you know shy cat that couldn't. You know, he he wasn't that guy. He created that. And he used it because he found that it worked. But that's if 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 anybody, if I could tell anybody anything about Prince, it would be that. It would be that everything about him, how he looked like a million bucks, you know, every time you saw him, all, the time. all of that was by me. all the time, all <laughs> the time. And 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 I've told the story a million times. But I I said that when I went to Paisley Park back in the nineties. Uh, I went there to watch him rehearse. Oh, you've been there? And yeah, I've been there. I've been to Paisley wow. Park a couple of times. That's, that's got to be some place, uh, huh? Well, the place was just incredible at the time <laughs> because it was still kind of new. Uh, and this was in the early '90s, and he, he he's got everything he needs there. It, it was. Uh, there are some entertainers that don't care about these things. So I, I was going to say it would be an entertainer's dream, but it's not. It wouldn't be every entertainer's dream because everybody, everybody doesn't approach their craft that way. Uh, right. You don't have to own the studio, and you don't have to do this, and you know you just do it as it comes. But for the the tech head uh, or the very uh, technically minded uh, artist. Uh, a place like Paisley Park is a dream come true because it's like having your own candy store, your own kingdom. You know, mm-hmm. he had sound stages there. You know, more than more than one act or two or three acts could rehearse there. People could record there. He had a movie sound stage where actual footage and video and film uh, could be shot. You know, he could do he could do everything. At Paisley Park, and uh, he also had uh, living quarters there that was off limits to somebody just walking in the joint. But you know he had he had living quarters there. Now he didn't always live in Paisley Park. He he had a house at some point in Minneapolis, and I'm sure he might have still had it at his death. But um, he didn't he didn't always live at Paisley Park. He probably uh, should have because he spent so much time there recording. But uh, at some point, uh, walking through Paisley Park, uh, walking through the building, I came up on a uh, room where there the door was open and there were two women in there, in there, and they were <clears throat> diligently sewing, you know. Uh, they had a mannequin, a couple of mannequins up, and they had fabrics out, and they okay. had pictures, sketches, and all kinds of stuff like this. And they were they were sewing things. And so I said out loud as I was <clears throat> standing there in amazement, I said, wow, this is where uh, princess costumes are made. And the woman looked up at me, and she said, my good man, we do not use the C word around here. Prince dresses like this every single day. These are not costumes. And, and, I, and I, I had to say, oh, my goodness, you know. But I, I say, I tell that story often to, to point out another way, as you said, what, what, what do people not know about them? And I'm responding by saying what what people don't know is how how strongly uh, it was Prince who designed how we feel about him, down to him not speaking and being quiet, to how he dressed, to the guitar player that he became. He became one of the greatest guitar players in pop music. He didn't start out that way, but he became that. So I would... If, if anybody wants to know anything about Prince, uh, the one thing that I would say is that uh, Prince became Prince just by being driven and motivated and determined to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest. And you 
have to have a certain commitment beyond, um, you know, beyond just wanting to be a star. I mean, I, I say to people all the time, look at this. Look at the, look at all the artists that Prince started. I mean, he started many other groups and many other acts and all of those people. Those people went off on their own, and many of them, most of them, could not sustain the kind of success that Prince presented them. Well, the reason for that is because they weren't Prince. Prince was right. beyond the guy just wanting to learn an instrument and have a hit record. He was fanatical about wanting to be number one, wanted to be the best guitar player, the best uh, act on stage, uh, sell the most records, uh, look the baddest, and do it all his way, his way. So if anybody wanted to know anything about Prince that they didn't know, uh, it would be just how determined this man was. And, And as we see now, uh, this was this man's life. Yeah, we saw this guy with plenty of pretty girls on his arm. But for the most part, this man lived and ate and drank. And it consumed him. Look how he died. He died alone at Paisley Park. He didn't have nothing but his music. Hmm. But that's how much he gave to his craft. Right. That's how much he gave to his breath. I'm glad you mentioned that because we we always get a lot of emails or calls and a lot of individuals think that most of these artists overnight were superstars. And most of us, yeah. and it's usually the opposite. Usually it's years Absolutely. that uh, it takes for, for them to, to make, quote unquote, make it big. Quote unquote. Absolutely. Is that you Absolutely. know? So we, I'm so happy you 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 give that picture and that knowledge to the individuals list that will be listening to the show because you I mean it, it takes work to be good and whatever you do, it don't happen overnight. It, it takes it takes drive, commitment, determination. I mean we could go on and on with the words, but you Absolutely. really have to love what you do. So you could be the best, the best of the best. Absolutely. And uh, yes. I'm glad you point that out. And I guess before we let you go, Brad, what do you got there for uh, for Steve before before we uh, let him kick back and 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 handle his next agenda for the evening? Well, I know we're gonna have a part two with my man Steve. He was, he was very informative. That almost was, just, you have to because there's so yeah. much that I want to get to him on his own personal yeah. journey. Oh, we just don't have the time. But he was go just, ahead, Brad. He was, just, he was just reminding me because I was thinking when he came on, he brought me back to when I first found out about Prince back in 1980. <clears throat> and what I remember is "Do Me, Baby." That song just took me because I wasn't into the artist, you know, Prince at the time. But that song got me. That's right. And I was a Michael Jackson fan. But That's right. over the years, over the years, he empowered me because I love music, and music takes control of all your senses. You know? Absolutely. And, and what it was, I was just thinking about Michael so much, but Prince, he, he broke down. The barriers, and I had to love them because over the years, oh yeah, what whatever you talked about today, all was true on how he did things, and he moved me. Because I tell you, from the beginning, I wasn't a Prince fan. I'm feeling like like the concert you talked about. I, I never would have dreamed that he would be that bad. But no. I caught him at a time when he took me and had me debating. Prince or Michael, you know what I'm saying? And that's, oh, that's, that's right, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and over the years, like people, like you said, people speculated on his mysterious ways, this, that, and the other. And I'm glad he did that because when he did start speaking just a little bit, I was on the edge of my seat. I want to hear what he oh, had absolutely. to say. Absolutely. My, my first concert was in 1983. I was stationed in Memphis, wow. and I went to see wow. him. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And that's when Michael was hot. 
So, but again, that's right. I reiterate, yeah, was on fire in yeah. So now I'm going to a Prince concert, and I had the purple shirt, you know, 1999 uh, <laughs> oh, uh, T-shirt, <laughs> right? Wow. And, and, and in closing, and in closing, when you know his passing, you know, left us all where we at today. But I did notice over the years his popping. That right there touches me more than anything. He loved to pop in on people. So I start seeing all these videos because I noticed it, but That's I didn't pay right. attention. He will pop yeah. in on you and just make yeah. your day. He did Brian Gumbel. Yeah. He did The View. Oh, yeah. He did uh, a Tricor Quest. I mean, he's done. It didn't matter who he popped in on. And he That's did right. it, and he made a, 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 a statement on those pop-ins. That's so right. That's that's yeah. what I want to say tonight on the LC and Jack show with Prince. Rest in peace. And, you know, he left his mark on everybody. Well, he'll live forever, Brad. Uh, as we yes, said sir. earlier in, in, you know, talking with Steve, he's he lived through his music. And as an yeah. artist, it's one of the few things that a lot of the, I, I want to say the a regular person or the average person, we can't do. We mm-hmm. can't. Leave something like we could leave. We leave something for our family, friends to cherish behind. That's right. But he, when you're an established person, uh, whether it be a Prince or Michael Jackson or uh, uh, whoever, your music, you're never forgotten. Never. No. Your music, their, their music is timeless. That's right. And, and it will live on. It live on. For future generations and hopefully the next prince, and there will be, there will be someone else. Uh, you know, uh, we just don't know who he is and or her. We just don't know who they are, and because they will see the work and the work that's done, and they will listen to interviews like this, uh, the knowledge that was passed uh, by yourself, uh, Steve, and and they will understand what it will take. To be that type of individual, and uh, that's oh that's God. our job. Yeah. You kind of mentioned Listen, this earlier when we talked about stop. our youth. Let me stop. Let me stop. Stop you right there. That is the most powerful statement that you just made, and and that is exactly what it has to take for the next Prince or the next Michael Jackson. But you're absolutely right. Somebody is going to come along. As, as pessimistic as I feel about it, I know that someone is going to come along. Maybe he might not come along in my time, but somebody is going to come along, and they're going to be as, as good as those, those guys, as the princes and the Michaels of the world. And they're going to get that bad. They're going to get that bad as in good uh, through the ways that you just said. They're going to observe the music. They're going to listen to the music. They're going to look at all the videos and all the history that is there for them, and uh, they're going to create something great. You know, they're going to become one of those guys. No doubt about it. And with that said, we we uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, you know, Brad said, "Hey, he's got to be a part two, So hopefully, your your schedule permitting in the near future, we'll be able to catch up with you. And um, and do it again and, and learn more about the history. Your talk a little bit, focus in a little bit more on your journey and mm-hmm. whatever other personal experiences, like Prince. You know, it's sad that we had to do it around this time, but those mm-hmm. artists maybe that are maybe present now or that have passed on that you can mm-hmm. that you're willing to share with the audience. Uh, the, mm-hmm. These moments are so. When we get in, when we get someone that, you know, has insight, it's so valuable uh, to pass that information on. And, you know, we, we say to do that to our youth, to, you know, information and things that you learn that you need to pass That's on. Right. What good is it to learn something That's that right. you're not going to share? So uh, yeah, we appreciate right. you uh, sharing. And with that said, let the audience know. What do you have? Come, do you have anything new coming out? Yes, I'm, I'm at work on a memoir called Slave to the Rhythm that I have been working on for uh, since the Stone Age, actually. Anybody who 
anybody who knows me will hear me say slave to the rhythm and they will begin to laugh because I've been working on this memoir uh, for many, many years. But I'm, I'm working on that and it's a, a look at the, the black music business from uh, the 70s, which is when I came into it as a, a music journalist all the way up to now. Uh, the artists, uh, the times, uh, the music, and what happened to the music. Uh, that's that's what that memoir is about. And you can catch me weekly. I write a column weekly, as you mentioned earlier, for the the eurweb.com. It's a it's an urban entertainment site, and I've written a column there for I don't know maybe ten or twelve years now. That's that's great, and I know uh, I did see the piece, and for those, I, I did talk about it on the show a little while back. That piece that you did, uh, Spike Lee's piece specifically on Michael Jackson, that insight was tremendous, and specifically for those who won, I believe it was on Showtime. It was Showtime or HBO, I think it was Showtime. And it's called uh, right. Michael Jackson's Journey from Motown to Off the Wall. That's right. Very insightful and yeah, nice, nicely done, Steve. Uh, like well, all the work you so that much, you do, sir. and yeah, all the work you do. I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, we were so so pleased to be able to have you this evening, and we thank you again so much for uh, spending a little time well, with us and, and sharing it. Yeah, thanks again, my and. Uh, pleasure. We look forward to having you again soon to you share some more with us. So, well, Brett, another phenomenal guest. You know, Steve is is the man. Um, I, you've you've seen him. If you if you're not sure of his voice, his voice is very distinctive. But you've seen him on unsung. Everyone's seen him on unsung. He's been you know he does a lot of great work, and uh, just just a great. Great insight to unfortunate talking of the passing of of Prince, who um, just just tragic. But you know, everyone has an expiration, as they say, and it's just gone too soon, as as they say. But he will live forever through his work. So, with that said, there, Brett, we're gonna do it again next week. Same time, same place. God bless. Peace.